Welcome to a new wave of entrepreneurship. I'm Latifa Farah, Associate Creative Producer at Venture for Canada and the producer of a new wave of entrepreneurship. The focus of this podcast is to hear from changemakers and Canadian entrepreneurs to learn about how they've developed their entrepreneur mindset and skills. We're excited to dive into these conversations about how to foster your entrepreneur mindset and drive. On this episode, we're joined by Sarah Wilshaw, a senior government executive with 28 years of public service. Ms. Wilshaw is currently Chief Trade Commissioner and Assistant Deputy Minister at Global Affairs Canada. She leads a global team that helps Canadian businesses explore international markets, find new customers and partners to problem solve and promote growth through exports. In this episode, Scott and Sierra will discuss fostering Canadian trade around the world. I am very excited to have Sarah Wilshaw, who is the Chief Trade Commissioner at Global Affairs Canada. Sarah, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great, Scott. How are you? I am doing very well. So Sarah, first, as I mentioned in the title, you're, you, are, you have responsibility for leading the Canadian Trade Commissioner Service. And some of our listeners might know about your organization, but some might not. Can you get described at a high level? What is the mandate of your organization and what's some of the work that you do to foster Canadian business around the world? Absolutely. My favorite subject. Um, so, so in a nutshell, what uh, the Trade Commissioner Services is really, it's part of our, it's part of our diplomatic service or part of our diplomatic core. This is a group of, of uh, trade professionals um, around the world. I have a 1500 person team. So um, there are around 500 employees here in Canada, another thousand or so in 160 cities around the world. And what they do fundamentally is help Canadian companies to de-risk international business activities by giving them practical advice and contacts and on the ground intelligence, as well as attract investment into Canada. And we promote um, innovation and R&D exchanges. um, And we also try and attract talent and students into Canada as well. So all kinds of things that support the Canadian economy and growth and jobs here in Canada. Um, And we do this in kind of offering four key services. So we offer some guidance on uh, prep for international markets. Uh, on market-specific information and intelligence to help companies kind of refine their approach when um, thinking about going internationally. Uh, We do qualified contacts um, and and connections, uh, and then also kind of implementing market strategies. And then we do something we call problem solving, which is like a giant bucket of, uh uh-oh, something's gone wrong. You know, I can't get a thing off the dock um, or a certification or, um, you know, we've run into a problem over here. Can you help and give some advice? And that it's all of these services are very, very bespoke. So they really are individualized to the company um, and to the the partner that we're working with. But that's in in a kind of a nutshell, that's what we do. So your mission is really to foster Canada as a trading nation, as a country that is trying to operate and sell its products and goods all around the world. In your view, how does Canada compare against its peers when it comes to fostering this culture of trade, this culture of being a global exporter? How do we compare against countries like Australia, New Zealand, uh, Norway, et cetera? 
Yeah, actually, I think we do really well. I mean, I'm probably biased, but um, but no, we really do. We really do really well. And Canada is a trading nation, and and it's you know it's something um, I think people go back to kind of deep foundations and um, in, in terms of how you know like even even indigenous trade routes, right? There's a, you know, we've been trading from this place for a very, very long time. Um, but now you look at trade, which accounts for about two thirds of our economy. It supports three and a half million jobs um, in the country. You know, we're, we're, we're pretty, um, well, we talked about this, I think previously, 38 million people in Canada, but we have so much to offer. Um, so we really, you know, we really want to trade and, and get out there and, and engage with the rest of the world. And we also have this incredibly diverse um, citizenship and citizenry that come from all over the world. And so engaging with the other parts of the of the globe, I think, is uh, is certainly, you know, something that that people are doing naturally, um, but also very deliberately in in the economic space. So I think we do a very good job. We also benefit, of course, from having a very large, stable partner just to the south of us. Um, and, and a very sophisticated market with which we can engage. And of course, a lot of our exports go to the US and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about diversification um, in, uh, in due course. But, um, but having that partner and having those kind of close ties within North America, so I'll extend that all the way down to Mexico, um, you know, has been a, a, something that's been, uh, been core to the Canadian economy for a very long time. Uh, but I would say, you know, in, in terms of like relativity, um, yeah, I, I, think, I think we can certainly hold our own. Canadian companies are getting out there more and more, and it's really exciting to see. And to your point, there are tons of benefits of living next to the United States, but there's also a tons of drawbacks in different ways. As Pierre Trudeau said when he's prime minister, when you're asleep next to an elephant, uh, you can get hurt very easily. And I know one of the uh, top priority of the government of Canada when it comes to trade has been around trade diversification. Around right now as a country, we're very dependent uh, on the United States when it comes uh, to trade. And Canada and the United States have probably one of the closest relationships of any two countries in the world. Uh, but there can at certain points in history have been almost a dependency of Canada on the United States, which can put our country at risk, particularly if protectionism rises uh, in, in the United States like it has in, in, in recent years. So how is the government of Canada fostering trade diversification? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's an, and it's an excellent point. In fact, you know, if you think about what happened in the course of the pandemic, it really has uh, underlined the risk of overdependence on any one market, frankly, right? And, uh, and, and so we have been thinking about diversification and working on diversifying Canada's trade for, for a long time, actually, and really encouraging uh, and, and trying to to devise, you know, devise new service offerings to really support Canadian companies of all sizes to go international, really farther beyond the, even the North American landscape. Um, even though that is a really good, stable partner and has been for for a long, long time for us, um, it's still something that we, you know, we we look to uh, the wider world as well and think about well, you know, um, relationships with with Europe for example, um, or, you know, think about all the growing markets in, in Asia, um, even in Africa, Latin America, and the Caribbean, 
places where um, tastes are getting more sophisticated, you know, folks are looking for higher quality products, uh, the kinds of things that Canada has to offer. And so those opportunities are huge. And we want to make sure that we're maximizing those opportunities for, uh, for all Canadians. And so when we talk about diversification, though, I should say, it's not just about the market right? We, it's not just about the where, I should say. One of the things that the Trade Commissioner Service tries to focus on is also diversification in kind of all of it form, its forms. So if you think about, um, you know, what kinds of things we're trading, like let's get more of Canada's great services and products out there into the wider world and farther afield. And, and we have fantastic technologies to offer and bring to, um, you know, bring to bear on things like climate change um, or climate resilient infrastructure, um, uh, electric vehicles, and like all of those kinds of things that are going to be and are now, but are really going to be in high demand going forward as well. So, you know, lots of, uh, lots of experience and skill that Canada and, and Canadians can bring uh, to bear on us and on providing solutions to the the wider world. So that's one thing in terms of the what. We're also looking more and more at how in terms of, you know, diversifying channels, right? Thinking about e-commerce, for example, um, different ways of delivering products and services. So that's another aspect to, let's call it diversification in that sense. And then who? And this one's really important because it's, it's important to think about inclusion, and, and who is trading. So we want to see more um, businesses owned by, you know, young people. We want to see more businesses owned by, um, owned and operated and led by women, um, by, uh, by members of uh, Indigenous groups or by uh, Black entrepreneurs, um, you know, all kinds of, of people, LGBTQ2+, we're working with all kinds of groups to try and support them to do more trade, to engage in more markets. So Diversification has a lot of meanings for us, um, but when you talk about sort of what are some of the supports, we have targeted trade missions for some of those underrepresented groups. We've, um, you know, at the bigger picture level, we've supported um, and signed and ratified 15 um, trade agreements, free trade, comprehensive free trade agreements, um, you know, with, uh, with partners all over the world. Uh, we're currently the only G7 country to have an FTA in force with every other G7 country. Uh, 1.5 billion customers who are captured in these 15 uh, free trade agreements and 49 different countries. So that's like, those are institutional pieces, but it's also really looking at um, some of the smaller pieces like you know, how do we um, how do we focus on certain groups to help them give them a leg up in terms of uh, in terms of more diversity engaged in in international trade. So those are some of the things we're thinking about when it comes to uh, diversification. Going back to the what category, what are some of the segments of the Canadian economy that are growing the quickest when it comes to exports? Well, interestingly, right now um, it, it, it there and I'm just going to say this is. I don't know why this is, but it's super neat. Baked goods and furniture have increased 30% on 
go figure. But um, <laughs> but the the ones that won't supply, uh, surprise you would be things like energy, right? Um, fertilizer, uh, you know, food or agri-food products, things like that have increased dramatically. And, and a lot of that has to do with uh, with some, you know, well, it has to do with um, the the Russian invasion of Ukraine, um, the blocking of exports in, uh, from the Black Sea. Um, and so that's caused a lot of challenges uh, around the world and, and increased the prices and, and concerns uh, around um, food and fertilizer and fuel. Um, and, uh, and Canada is a, is a net exporter of a lot of those things. So we're, we're seeing that happening. But the other areas that I would talk about outside of commodities that are really growing are, again, things that wouldn't surprise you if you think about kind of what's going on in the world, right? Things like, um, you know, the net zero transition, um, and so climate technology, uh, infrastructure, um, climate resilient infrastructure in particular, life sciences, biotech, um, anything to do with uh, battery tech or electric vehicles, all of this is like the what that is coming and, uh, and or here right now. So, uh, and, and Canada has tremendous strengths in all of these areas. It's, uh, it's, really, it's really exciting to see, it's terrible what's happening and what has forced us into some of these spaces but it's um but it's great that Canada can help with some of the solutions. Canada also has one of the most diverse populations in the world around one in four Canadians were born outside of the country and that's a number that's projected to grow to be one in three Canadians within the next uh, two or three decades which would actually have Canada be one of the uh, have the, the, the largest share of its population be immigrants than almost any country in the entire world. Uh, to put it in perspective for our listeners, only around 13% of Americans, I believe, are uh, were not born in, in the United States. So Canada's relative share of immigrants is around double what it is in, in the United States. So that means that there's all these interpersonal connections around the world, that there really is a global Canada. And you go to Toronto or Vancouver or Montreal, or a lot of major cities across the country, you see people from all walks of life. And, and the, the level of diversity in this country is, is quite remarkable and, and a huge uh, asset. So Sarah, when you think of the Canadian Trade Commissioner Service and the fact that there are these massive diaspora, diasporic networks that exist around the world, and also the fact that there's an estimated three or three and a half million Canadians who live outside of the country all around the world, how does your organization engage the Canadian diaspora and also engage Canadians who are immigrants and have friends and family and colleagues living all around the world to support Canada's economic and trade interests. So there's a couple of ways where where this uh, where we get involved in this or where I guess we we sort of take advantage of some of those um, assets that we have in 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 a great diverse population. I think it's really exciting. I love I love to see you know how diverse Canada is. I'm a foodie. So this is like the best thing ever is like all of these different types of, you know, different cultures and food and, and you know, languages being spoken. Um, it's for me, that's just fun and exciting. But uh, but when you think about like in the individuals, so we all, I always say companies, you know, and, and businesses do business around the world and we try and help facilitate that. 
but actually those businesses are made up of people, right? And, and if you think about those people and their backgrounds, and as you mentioned, their connections, their family, their um, like linguistic um, capabilities, that these are enormous assets for Canada and for companies um, who, are, who are thinking about going global. So we try and, you know, absolutely try and uh, promote as many of those connections as we can and help people, you know, to do business uh, globally and to take advantage of all of those assets. Um, but the other thing it also, and I talked a little bit about this at the beginning, we we're talking about bringing in talent. So Canada has a, a remarkable ability to bring in talent. We have um, we have great sort of global business express programs, immigration programs, very strong in Canada. We're always bringing in um, lots of folks with great skills, doing everything we can to try and um, help them to, uh, to be successful here. And the other thing is students. We have some fantastic universities in Canada, um, some of the best in the world, and, and there are a lot of students around the world who, um, who you know, where they're having difficulty finding a post-secondary, uh, you know, institution in, in their home country or a place. It's so competitive. So, you know, we're super happy to have those folks come to Canada as well and study and, and our program allows, I mean, the immigration and study visa program allows um, students to come to Canada and they can work part time. And then uh, they become often either very successful um, Canadian citizens in due course. And, you know, those can be become great. Those people can become great entrepreneurs who will then hopefully go global because they've already got this great global mindset or they return to their home country and hopefully with a great impression of Canada and Canadians and working with us. And so these are, these are great ways to build those linkages. And the topic of international students in Canada is one we care a lot about. And I, and I agree, first and foremost, international students are a tremendous asset uh, to, to Canada. I actually recently wrote a Global Mail op-ed on this topic. And it's interesting, around 270,000 international students came to Canada in 2011, and around 650,000 came in the most recent year. So it gives you an idea of the growth. At the same time, one of the things that we've seen is a huge issue of fraud and low quality uh, study experience. It's to say many international students come to Canada and have a fantastic experience and love their time. But it's also something where we have heard so many times from international students around fraudulent for-profit colleges, around being sold uh, misrepresentation of people in Punjab uh, kind of mortgaging their farms to come to Canada and then, you know, getting a really bad uh, deal. Uh, and it, so it's to say, it's not the system, the aspects of the system is broken, throw it out. That's not, not what I'm saying, but it's to say, there's been huge growth in the number of international students in Canada. That's a great thing. But I think with that growth, there's also been significant challenges in terms of the quality of study experience. And to your point, it's successful if people are coming to Canada and saying, I am having a fantastic uh, experience uh, here. So what do you think could potentially be done to ensure that Canada is the leader, not just in terms of the quantity of international students that are coming to Canada, but also to ensure that those international students, when they come to Canada, have a phenomenal study experience? 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done at the front end to make sure people are, are you know, engaging with a reputable institution and, you know, doing their homework and, and they can talk to the Trade Commissioner Service. We have folks there who are out there to promote uh, study in Canada, you know, work with a reputable um, uh, partner and, and, you know, make sure that you know what you're getting involved in. And it's, frankly, you know, hopefully those aren't the, hopefully that's not the majority of the experience. Hopefully the majority of the experiences are good. And I think they are, you know, when you're talking in those kind of numbers. Um, and obviously there will be some stories that are unfortunate and, and, uh, and that's disappointing um, if that's happening in, you know, in certain ways, but in certain places. But, um, but I would say, yeah, get in touch with people, look for the reputable partners and, and, you know, make sure that you've done your homework to prepare for whatever um, course it is or program that you're looking for. And, and, and again, similar to when, you know, Canadian in, um, SMEs or, or, you know, think about going internationally, we want to make sure that their experience is de-risked by, uh, by working with reputable partners when they go international so that they're um, not taken advantage of or that they, you know, that they're connected up with the right people from the start. So you want to start as you mean to go. You want to start in the best way possible. And that means getting some good advice um, following all the sort of steps and, and procedures, double checking on everything to see, it, you know, and finding to see, it, you know, if there what information you might be missing, and then, you know, doing everything you can to kind of de-risk that. Yeah, it's important people do their homework, and, uh, and, and it's important to recognize there can be some bad actors playing in a system that is by and large uh, ethical, but there are definitely some concerns uh, as the numbers of international students have, have grown substantially to, to ensure all international students can have a phenomenal experience. On the topic of global trade, one piece of data that I found really interesting that I recently read was that the um, uh, share of global GDP that went to trade was higher in 1910 than it was in 1970. And I think sometimes we operate in this world where, or certainly I do, where I was born right around when the Soviet Union fell. Uh, so I was born in 1991. And all I've seen is this kind of steady march of globalization that when I was a teenager, Thomas uh, Friedman wrote his famous, the world is flat, talked about the rise of uh, trade, that, that it's just going to keep on going. But as we go back to that stat, it took 60 years for the rates of global trade uh, to recover post-World War I, post-World War II. And right now we're, we're entering an era where there's more walls going up around the world, be that China and some of the COVID measures they're doing or what's happening in terms of Russia and Ukraine or what's happened during the Trump administration and to some extent the Biden administration uh, with regards to, to buy American. How can Canada as a relatively small country, as a country that also is a trading nation and is very dependent on global trade, navigate at during an increasingly uncertain time of a geopolitics, of, of a time when walls are going up uh, and it's harder to trade, it's harder for exports in many ways. What, what advice do you have for Canada, for Canadian companies on how to navigate during these turbulent times? Yeah, it, it's a it's a good point, but I I would say that you know I've I've seen also uh, some of those points about to the trade to GDP ratio, and and I would say that you you have to think a little bit also about why uh, that ratio has changed, right? So 
there are some countries out there with big domestic populations, um, two in particular I could name like China and India, for whom the ability to, um, to have economically viable internal markets, right, is a lot easier because they are very, very large. Whereas a, a country like Canada is small, we've got a, you know, small, not geographically, obviously, but from a population standpoint, and 38 million um, people, you know, producing for that is not always efficient. Um, and, and so, you know, we need uh, to, to be trading, we need to be out in the world. Um, and so globalization, the, is the, the world to, to GDP ratio uh, doesn't necessarily mean that globalization is not happening. Um, right. And it doesn't mean that it's sort of all falling apart. There's just a lot of things happening in the world right now. You know, recent events have, have sort of shown some vulnerability and uh, and some sort of disruption, certainly in supply chains. And I think a lot of folks are uh, are looking at um, what's critical, what needs to be produced closer to home. How um, how do we manage to to look after some of the um, some of the more um, uh, critical pieces like PPE being produced closer to home, or um, or vaccines, or other uh, you know other um, other critical elements in a supply chain, and and governments all around the world are trying to assess that. Um, but in terms of you know the the actual uh, trade to GDP ratio or protectionism kind of around the world, I don't know that that we are seeing a huge. Um, nearshoring or reshoring necessarily um, in Canada. I think there's some parts of it that where that's happening, but I don't think it's all part. I think that there's, um, I think that, that there's still good reasons economically and otherwise for countries to be trading. There are things that people produce in, in one part of the world uh, versus another more efficiently, more effectively. Resources are, are not distributed equally around the world. And so those kind of inputs as well are, um, are necessarily gonna have to come from a number of different places. But if you, um, but I think what people are doing right now is trying to think about uh, what this will mean going forward. Um, I don't know that that um, I don't know that it's necessarily going to be a long term trend away from from this. I think that there's a lot of choppy waters out there right now, and that's what people sort of talk about. It's a lot of choppy waters, and trying to navigate all of that in um, in this current context is is difficult. As we were saying, it's difficult to predict the future, um, and so people are are sort of thinking, okay, well, how can I how can I um, how can I be more resilient in the face of some of these shocks that we have seen over the last few years? And so in some cases, people are thinking about safe secondary sources uh, of supply for something, or sometimes people are thinking about more warehousing, um, less just-in-time production. And, and that means slightly shorter supply chains or having alternatives. I don't know that it's necessary, uh, necessarily a long-term trend of anti-globalization. Um, I, I think that's here to stay. And frankly, if you're thinking about how the world works, um, anti-globalization wouldn't be good for developing countries either because it would 
close off opportunities for them too. Um, but countries like Canada, where we're more or less, you know, trade dependent in a lot of ways, we have to be talking about how we secure those markets and making sure that we are, we've got good partners and good opportunities and we're able to take advantage of those opportunities, particularly in the growth, um, growth parts of the world. And who knows what the future will bring? It may be more walls, it may be more openness, but I think that one thing we can all agree on is given Canada's place in the world, it is essential that Canada be extremely creative and aggressive and assertive at going after trade opportunities all around the world because our quality of life, our future depends yeah, on it. Absolutely. But let me also say something else. You know, think about um, rising incomes in other parts of the world as, uh, as you know, uh, countries sort of emerging markets and developing markets, you know, um, even a, a, a place like uh, China where, or, or India where um, individual incomes have risen and so, and tastes change. And people are looking for higher quality products. And Canada has a lot of those higher quality products to offer. We're also a very trusted partner for a lot of people. Um, we're not big, we're not so big as to be determinative of relationships. We don't have, you know, a lot of clout necessarily in, in global markets to determine prices or determine um, how, you know, the terms of trade, but we're there as a really good partner. And that means we can be a really good partner for a lot of the rest of the world. And so, uh, you know, I think we've got a great role to play in this new kind of paradigm. And, uh, and I think we've got a lot to offer to, uh, to these sort of growing and developing markets. And on the flip side, uh, if there are any people who are non-Canadian listening to the Suha businesses, I genuinely believe Canada is a phenomenal place to invest. For all of the uh, discussion we've had about increasing geopolitical uncertainty, Canada remains a country that is incredibly stable, that has great governance, that has robust institutions relative to most places in the world, and uh, is a great place to do business or, or to certainly interact, that we have courts that are predictable, that are, uh, th there is a, uh, as one person said to me recently, uh, who did not grow up in Canada, one of the things she loves about Canada is most things work uh, when, when, you're, when you're interacting. And uh, I think that that's an equal part of the measure, which I know isn't part of, of your uh, organization's mandate, but is part of others, is to attract investment to Canada and, and just to say, how do we make Canada a better country uh, to invest in? Sarah, on a closing note, let's say there's an entrepreneur, a hypothetical one, he, that uh, they run a $10 million a year business. They make $2 million a year in profit. Uh, they, they produce, a, a, let's say, a very Canadian thing, beaver pelt hats that are, very, uh, that are very popular in Canada. And they're making a lot of profit in Canada and uh, they're living a really nice life. They're doing really well, but they don't export at all. And they're sitting in their boardroom ta table and their family and they're saying, should we be exporting? You know, we were making all this money uh, and we, we have pretty fat margins within Canada. Why export? Why? What would you say to them uh, when they're considering whether to export or, or I not? I would say absolutely. I would say go for it. I would say somebody else is going to love those hats. They're going to they're going to be wearing them everywhere globally. I mean, don't you want the you know the future to be uh, all about your product and your hat and getting it out there? And and you know, I just say there are opportunities endless, and you can grow. You can grow. You can scale 
from Canada, you can do this. And, and why wouldn't you? And, you know, it's all about, it's all about the future and it's all about the potential. Um, so I would say, you know, uh, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, as we've talked about, markets can be uncertain. What if tomorrow it isn't the greatest thing in Canada, but you want to make sure you've got a, you know, future proofed it by, uh, by diversifying beyond our borders as well. So absolutely. But Scott, you said something about just, uh, just before about um, investment and you gave one of the best investment pitches I've ever heard for Canada. So thank you for that. That was terrific. But I did want to correct you. It absolutely is part of the mandate of the Trade Commissioner Service to attract investment into Canada. We work with a lot of really great partners, um, uh, particularly Invest in Canada, which is a which is a terrific partner in, um, uh, for us. Uh, but we very much work on that. And my trade commissioners all around the world would uh, would have uh, certainly called me if um, if I had let that stand without correcting it. <laughs> they they spent a lot of time and energy on this and have been very successful in recent years. So there a lot of people are actually recognizing what you said about investment um, in the Canadian space and that in fact, it's a great way to grow and it's a great way to, um, to access all of those other partners that I talked about through the FTAs. So uh, so for sure, I love your I love your enthusiasm there. And on that note, and thank you for that for that correction. It is so important that we be a global center for exporting and a global center for people wanting to invest. And Canada being a globally driven country is key to our future and our sustained uh, quality of life going forward. Sarah, thank you so much for all the work that you do, as well as your 1,500 different colleagues from across Canada and the world. It has been a true pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks for coming on. Likewise. Thanks so much, Scott. Thanks for everything you do too. That's it for this week's episode of A New Wave Entrepreneurship. Stay connected with us via our socials and our email list. Subscribe to us in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. If you have feedback on today's episode, tweet us at Venture for Canada. That is Venture, the number four, Canada, or email us at podcastadventurefor.canada.ca. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I'm Latifah Farah, and that was Scott Sturrett and Sarah Wilshaw. Until next time, stay safe, stay motivated, and stay grateful. A new wave of entrepreneurship is produced by Latifah Farah, and editing and mixing are also done by Latifah Farah. Basola Agamba is our editorial assistant, Mark Wallach and Premium Beat own the copyright and publishing rights related to the song used in this podcast.